Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hi, everyone. Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. How would you like your retail media or in-store shopper marketing campaigns to result in 40% better spending per household and 50% increased share of category? Results like that, it turns out, can happen when you make both those strategies come together into an integrated shopping experience for the consumer. Paul Brenner, SVP Retail Media and Partnerships at Vibonomics, and Nate Pinkston, Head of Growth at Microsoft Retail Media, spoke with Lauren Levack-Gilbert and me to bring to life the strategy, execution, and measurements of truly integrated, agile, and performative in-store and retail media campaigns. So Paul Brenner and Nate Pinkston, thank you so much for coming. Paul, we really appreciate you having you here. Yeah, no, it's, it's really fun. We're excited about the conversation. And Nate as well, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's, it's important stuff to talk about. Yeah, we're looking forward to sharing some of our learnings and talking about the future ahead. Yeah, the the, the really exciting moment uh, that we are able to do here on the podcast is kind of bring together uh, not only the focus that you know everyone's been having recently about online retail media, but also in-store retail media, which is still a huge part of a brand's overall omni-channel strategy. And with 80% of conversions still happening in store, approaching a, a retail media strategy uh, and without your in-store sort of linked into it and understanding how those two things work together is it really leaves a gap in, in our listeners' strategy, I would imagine. So, Paul, why don't you um, kick us off first? Tell us how you see brands sort of bringing both sides of this equation together for better results. Yeah, I guess I'd do a little setup. You know, I've been fighting to make in-store part of retail media for five years. So, you know, it, it's great to <laughs> oh, see the Oh, that's the scars on your face. That explains everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sides, broken ribs. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of damage. Um, but I think, you know, they're, they're, the time has come. And obviously, the IAB uh, providing that as part of the Retail Media Buyer's Guide and now in the measurement standard, um, which, which both uh, myself and Microsoft were involved with. You know, it's it's kind of it's time has come. You know, it's like that recognition of you know we had this time margin business of on site, then we switched to off site extension, and now oh, there's eighty percent or more of our people are still in the store. And so, you know, my job and and the role I play with working with Microsoft is really the we are the physical world company, right? So we're the the trucks and ladders, we're the display screens, the audio amps, the you know all those those things that have to be decided. And I turn that world into kind of a black box of impressions and content delivery that is treated as a programmatic space. So that's where I spend all my time is, you know, kind of living between the merchant side of the business and the retail media side of the business to bring that to life within the store and then go to Microsoft or, or others and say, hey, how would you like to access this, you know, aligned with the strategy? So um, a lot of hard work, um, but uh, definitely the direction I'm seeing is an, a great acceleration in in uh, in store adoption by retailers. Nate, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I love hearing this, and and from Microsoft's perspective and the technology side, we've been looking for ways to bring together a true omni-channel story for a long time. That footprint of 
everything you're doing with your brick and mortar stores hasn't really become part of the retail media landscape to date. And we've done some things like bringing in point of sale data from in-store transactions and linking that back to digital campaigns or activating with the in-store mode and app. But we've really looked for how the hardware takes shape and looking at a partner like Vibonomics and saying, you've got great technology. How can we bring this whole thing to life? and do something that gives brands a clear sense of what that value is, I think is a really important piece of that puzzle. And so as we've started to bring these two sides of the the technology and hardware together, what we've been able to do is is create an omni-channel value proposition where running some beta tests, we've already seen that you can drive 40% better spending per household and 50% increased share of category versus running either of the R tactics in isolation. And the thing is, you know, as we look at how brands are going to expand their investment and bring in-store into that omni-channel strategy, it's so important to prove that value and make sure we're giving them measurement that justifies shifting that media spend. Well, because the context that we have right now, of course, is that everyone's trying to squeeze better performance out of their investments in in promotions and advertising, et cetera, because mm-hmm. uh, there's just, you know, less free money going around these days. And and so I, I, when I when I hear those, you know, early stats and correct me if early is not the right viewpoint, but it sounded like sort of I think you said beta or something. Yeah, like, yeah it's still attacked. Yeah. Yeah. So 40% yeah. better spending per household, 50% increased share of category versus doing it in isolation. Those are pretty, pretty good signs, I would think, yeah. for your customers. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we look at, so the, the relationship I enjoy with Microsoft is having an outlet where we can take those results back as, you know, the ROI calculator for in-store decision-making. Right. So so for audio, we're at scale today, 25,000 locations. You know, the, the cost to implement something like that might be, you know, ten to twenty five thousand dollars a store for speakers and amps, and then you know, a little bit of money for what we do with audio. A display this decision could be 10x that, right? Yeah. And so if we're not building these case studies that help the retailer understand will the brands buy it, will they use it, what's its value, it's gonna just prolong the, the amount of time it takes to to make those investments right so that that's a really valuable piece to me it's the stat is yeah it helps the advertiser but it also helps the retailer understand what level of investment should they make in that hardware in that in that experience within the store would you say also for the brands that you're testing with or working with that it really depends on their maturity and a lot of the internal factors around people process and technology for something like like this to be successful? Like, are you working with more digitally mature brands or are you seeing uh, brands that are just kind of testing this out? I'm just curious what the inside of a brand org would need to be in order for this to actually take hold. I don't know that the maturity is a critical success factor, but I do think the maturity is an indication of where brands are willing to invest and test and say, this is something that we know is going to be part of our omni-channel strategy. And so we're going to put real dollars there. Um, If you look at, I I love this stat that Peter threw out where 80% of conversions are still happening in store, but I don't see anyone out there with a huge pool of money saying, oh, well, as soon as I can activate that in-store component, I'm going to dump millions of dollars there. It's That's, to his point, not how people, they're looking to, to really be more efficient. 
And so you've got to prove that value. And it is more mature brands, brands that can do an omni-channel strategy and are already invested in multiple channels that see this as an incremental ad and an additional way to activate with their consumers and shoppers and customers. And is there a way that you're uh, sort of a direction that you're seeing more of the um, energy coming from? Is it the in-store side of the house that's going, we got to we got to get on this or is it the digital side or is it uh do you have a sense of of kind of where the the most pressure is coming from to figure this out paul you want to take I, that do you have a sense you know it varies retail media to retail media right yeah. I, I think uh you if you've got a mature retail media network who's lived the life of a really high on-site margin and then a lower offsite margin, and they're trying to bring in a new way for high margin business. Um, then the digital people are, are are saying it. On the other end, you got in store people that um, want to make the in store experience better, right? Customer first, shopper first, and then we'll make the advertisers, you know, bring them in, you yeah. know. And so it, it kind of, and then there's people in between, like a high V is one of our customers, and they just invest in store innovation with 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 audio, our audio and display. Um, because they want it to be a better shopping experience. So they, they create these innovation stores for shopper experience. And now they've added, you know, red media to help monetize those spaces um, versus say, you know, like a, a Kroger, you know, they, they're different, right? They're, they're mature, obviously, you know, about them. They had a big announcement uh, recently around, you know, DSP and automation. So mm -hmm. I think there's really big ends of the spectrum, Lauren, to your point about the, the investment on the retailer side, you've got Walmart, who announced Walmart Radio revised and now this $90 million to do 1,500 stores with screens. You know, obviously they have that much money to do that. And then we have others that, hey, let's try 200 stores with a pharmacy screen, right? And how and figure out how to monetize that, take that to say OTC or pharma and see, you know, what their interests are. So it's just such a range, you know, such a wide range. And Nate, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned incrementality uh, because I think that's a big question when it comes to something like this, right? Like when you're looking across both online and in-store, how do you measure incrementality? Who gets the credit for it? Like, like what are you seeing from the brand side that they're they're being able to look at how that incrementality hits their P&L? Uh, I'll go back to part of what I was saying earlier is no one has extra money that they haven't invested. And so you've got to justify and prove the value. And incrementality is probably one of the ways and lenses that I think is most critical for brands who want to be more effective with their marketing spend. And so we see it as a huge component of a successful omni-channel or in-store offering. And we think about it as measuring against control groups. You've got to be able to look at what is incremental, not just to your existing spend and existing channels and tactics. How can you bring together that in-store and true omni-channel component and look at incrementality that way? And so what we do is we set up control groups and run tests around, could be geographical markets, where we can do things where we're only isolating, you know, digital display or digital PLA ads, and then comparing that against that in-store on its own and combining those two against something where we've got no advertising running. And in that fashion, we can actually provide an incrementality metric that will show brands what that spend and the com combination of these tactics drives for them. Because we see that as 
the way to make this a successful shift in investment. And frankly, I know brands who have to justify incremental dollars by going out and saying it's incremental value. And we need to help them tell that story. And so going back to, you know, which brands this resonates with, it's it's a big part of how they tell their own story to get more dollars for marketing. And I yeah. love the way that a, you're... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. No, no, I, I was just going to say there was a interview with, uh, written an interview with Melanie Babcock from the Home Depot. I think it was published yesterday or last night. And um, she was... The two 10 polls she had were standardization and incrementality and how the retailer is the most likely to be able to tell you what that true incrementality is um, because of the, the data they have and what Nate's describing. Um, Pat the Purchase last week put out a note that said their study was, I think it was only 51% of the things on the list are exactly what someone bought when they entered the store. So it just means so much to like what we're doing with Microsoft to show, you know, giving cross credit, right? In store to digital, you know, that's the way you're looking at the incrementality is what they may have done in their digital experience. Did it come to fruition in their physical experience and vice versa, right? And comparing that as true incrementality. I think that's the reason that some of the stuff we're doing is so valuable. And that's the way that the consumer is shopping, right? And I think that's what resonates the most for me here is that the consumer isn't just going in store. They aren't just going online. They aren't just using, let's say, social commerce or all the other channels. So it really kind of takes into account how the consumer is shopping. And I also really like the way you're approaching testing. So we talk a lot about test and learns when it comes to e-commerce and trying to figure out what's changing, what's valuable, where where we can see the, the incrementality. But I think that matches a lot with how a lot of the brand manufacturers listening are approaching their digital shelf as well. And so I think that that way of thinking is helpful as you think about retail media as a whole and how as a brand, can you work with your retailer to build out those tests to understand where's the incrementality in store versus online and and how are we mapping those two together? So I think that approach is all, also super valuable. And I hope you hear, you're hearing that from brands too, as you're going. Through. Yeah. And and I think it's really important to highlight um, brands are looking at what this investment is going to get for them. And so it is because we hear it from them that we did approach it in this fashion and set it up this way. And I think it's so important for retailers listening to to make sure they are hearing their brands and listening to the way that brands want to invest. It's not enough to just say and put out you have an offering and to do that in isolation and not compare it to how every other channel is already performing. And I think every marketer out there will say, yes, I cannot triple count my sales dollars. I need to understand <laughs> you know, what goes where. And every multi-touch attribution model is going to have some flaws, but the more you can do to provide cross-channel comparison and look at how well, we talk about retail media everywhere, how a consumer shops and what that journey is and what the incremental value of each dollar invested in marketing and each channel uh, you're making an investment in. That's really important to help brands understand where they're going to get value. And if you can't provide advertising and marketing solutions that drive that value, you don't warrant that investment. And that's that's something we're trying to, to listen to brands about. And, and if I could just ask, uh, I'm trying to understand sort of the collaboration between your companies and then how these programs get set up. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, Paul, you mentioned HEB. Is it HEB saying, hey, I want to put together a package of, 
you know, retail media plus in-store and sort of present it to my brands? Or is it each of you have relationships with brands and you're saying, hey, maybe this might be, you know, which, what's the direction of all these things and where does the data actually come from? Uh, you know, is it, I'm just trying to figure out sort of this whole universe here. because yeah. I'll kind of give the first things. part and then Nate on the data side, he's, he's really eloquent, eloquent at that. So, you know, Great. it really was just myself and, and Microsoft you know, Vibe and Microsoft coming together and saying, this is an idea, right? This is something we really think is necessary. Um, and then we, together, we went to, um, you know, a, a large retail media network and said, hey, we have overlap between the two of us. What do you think about this? And they were like, yes, of course, you know, we would love to do this, but you're going to have to find the brands to be involved, <laughs> right? Um, and so, that and then that's where right. we, <laughs> yeah, isn't that, oh, we would love the results. We, we really want to see those. Go do it on your own. <laughs> um, but, and then, so we solicited a lot of different brands, agencies, um, and and brought those together. Nate and I, we, we would submit those, right, as, as an idea, and then kind of develop from there the feasibility and the you know, the way the control test needed to be designed. Um, because remember, we're doing this across on-site and in-store as one control test, right? So this is like PLAs are off or on, you know, audio is off or on. Like it's a kind of a matrix of control tests for the first time. So it took a lot of discussion. And then, then Nate, of course, you know, was the owner of the data and the measurement side. So I'm handing off the baton. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Um, I, we see measurement as a really key component. I mean, everything we just talked about at incrementality, it's a real piece of that value and being able to link the different channels and measure this back across the channels and back to your point of sale data is a key component of making this successful. And any in-store offering I think needs to evolve to provide the same kind of metrics that marketers are used to getting from their advertising spend in general. And so if we look at that historical evolution of what in-store has been, you've got a merchant agreement that you know provides signage in-store, you'll know flight dates, you might know what ran. I mean, but the old school way was you paid an auditor to go out there and actually visit stores and say, okay, well, this is actually set up the way we were told. Microsoft's perspective is we want to be able to link those things in a digital and scalable way. And because we're already getting the attribution and doing the attribution on the advertising side for your digital media, we can do that in partnership with Vivonomics that gives you the same kind of metrics that will allow you to compare across channels. So you can look at impressions, you can look at sales, you've got a return on ad spend, you've got awareness, you've got the ability to say, how does this compare against everywhere else that I'm spending? And to us, that is a key component of where the technology enables real scalability and you can marry great hardware, like what Vibonomics does, where you can say you've got audio that can change. I asked Paul about the ocean spray example. I love his uh, content example there, yeah. but you've got the ability to change out creative. You've got the ability to run auctions, to do competitive things across your placements and link it all back to a measurement piece where we've already got the data, we're already doing the attribution. And if we can tie that together, now we tell a compelling story around that data and the, the value we drive. That was super helpful. Thank you. I mean, that really brings it to life for me across all of that and sort of where it's, where the energy's coming from in the end how it's supporting this growing over time. This could really scale to some pretty amazing stuff. So uh, Paul, bring this to life for me in store. What is it like for the consumer? What does this experience create? Um, and, and any examples, and if you can give it to me kind of from, 
you know, we create this experience so the consumer will have a great shopping experience, find what they want, understand what's available, you know, that. And then on the other side of the house, the receiving end of, of the, the results, sort of, I'd love to know how this all kind of ties together as an experience uh, for the consumer and the, the brand. This would be cool. Yeah, you know, today, and this is why um, Nate and I worked through this, um, and another gentleman at Microsoft named Bill Rosenberg, we, we kind of all teamed up on this together, was uh, was the audio side, because we have the scale, right? We have yeah. programmatic media players in 25,000 locations across the country. You know, we're saturated in grocery and you know, home improvement and some others, drugs. So that's really where this test was, and that experience is really, to Nate's point about a programmatic approach to it. So not in the old days of shopper where you just heard the same spot two times an hour from open to close, right? Everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's like very specific. It might be multicultural content in a bilingual area. It could change one hour to the next, depending on this is a morning hour. You need this kind of creative. This is an evening hour. You need this kind of creative um, and very action oriented, right? So, so the experience usually is wayfinding. So we're driving people towards a location. Uh, we're making it fun and energetic um, you know, it's just like a creative agency for us. And then using the programmatic to say, let's just pick these stores or only these stores where the product is truly available to be purchased. Right. And these kind of things. So that's, that's kind of the, the audio side of it. And I don't know if that's, that's helpful enough for you, but that's yeah, yeah, for kind sure. of where we are and, today. And I think Nate hinted at a ocean spray example. Oh, no. So the display side is where it gets a little a little bit more fun. Um, you know, I kind of like if you visualize go in your grocery store, the moment you walk in the door, try and count every single paper printed element that you experience from the time you go through a whole store. Try it. Try it. It will be thousands, thousands of cluttered screens. Right. And how much money have retailers made from that merchant business? Billions of dollars. Right. Like right. true shopper marketing. So why can't we rethink how that experience is provided to the shopper and given to the brand? And so we do all kinds of weird stuff like square matte finish screens that that look like artwork, but become menu boards, um, circular screens like, you know, the origin of coffee. Let's show videos of, of beans being ground up, um, you know, long form um, signage or wayfinding that sticks out and is half you know, two thirds um, static imagery telling you're in the, you know, you're in the the pasta lane and the one third is a brand that's being highlighted for that period. Right? And it's all very dynamic. Um, and so we're doing all, I could just go on and on about the different things that we've done from Victoria's Secret to Adidas stores with RFID enabled video walls. Um, you know, just, I, I, it could be a whole show about the yeah. stuff that we were doing. That's really cool. Um, and one example I always give with Nate was, you know, we're doing these end cap designs now where they're kind of long and tall, right? It's not just a straight, we do weird formats of screens and it's like a person shape. And I, I always give the example of like, you know, ocean spray prints, paper cardboard signs. They put them in the aisle for drinks. It's the same sign in every store for six weeks until somebody comes back, picks it up, throws it away and puts a new one on the screen. <laughs> yep. What if the one day a guy in LA is riding a, a skateboard, drinking ocean spray and singing Fleetwood Mac songs? goes mm -hmm. viral the next morning why wouldn't he be on that screen you know with the signage of the guy you know that they're they're attaching themselves to virally right i think they bought him a truck or something right like just for 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 being part of it we um, had them on the, the podcast of... we we had the ocean spray 
folks on the podcast oh, to tell us how they did that campaign. I, I, I'll have to dig up. I don't even remember when that was, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And so I think it's about saying the store has always made money off the in-store shopper. They always have, but it's mm-hmm. been paper signage and printing. What we're talking about is digitizing that so it can be just as targetable, right? Now we can create content that is specific to an aisle in a location, has the same multicultural impact, may even be the kind of person that's in front of the screen at the time, right? And, and driving engagement. I mean, words that you've never heard, like a meat bunker. And you probably don't know what the meat bunker is no, in a I store. But it's, what is that? It, it's the frozen uh, flat tops where you reach down in oh, to pick up okay. the bacon. Right. So that's a meat bunker. So there could be unique screen formats there that when you pick up RFID enabled food, which it is, you might see a video of the food you just picked up in your hands. So how is that not better than a paper cardboard sign, you know, that somebody paid sixty five thousand dollars for probably, you know, two hundred thousand dollars for um, less wastage, you know, more efficient, more targetable um, and an impression delivered. Right. So we can say how many people were close enough to see the image or how many people were in the store at the time the audio was played. Right. For that exposure. That's the information we're feeding back to Nate to say this is the effectiveness of that content. Right. And then he can translate that into incrementality and, and return on has been. And, and I'll highlight just one more thing about the coordination you can do, because as brands look across national or regional advertising campaigns, they're running certain creative and certain styles across awareness and social tactics down to their you know display and programmatic business. And the coordination within store is often not there or it is in a limited static capacity because you had to have the signs printed months mm-hmm. earlier. And here we're offering the ability to coordinate all of this together and link it to what you're doing digitally with the same ability to be nimble and dynamic if there's new creative that you want to provide or run tests and see what works better and then lean into what's working better. Um, It's it's all... Change the creative during the campaign if you want to. You you know, change the content. Like you don't think it's working? Change the content. (laughs) You don't have to print a sign and ship a new one. I also think of like packaging changes like that was the bane of my existence when I was a brand. Right. Because it's like a toss up as to like, okay, when are you going to run out of the stock that you have with this packaging? And then when's this packaging going to be on shelf? And it was just always so challenging to time again, because you had to print everything so far in advance. So I can imagine for packaging changes, that could be huge. And you could also reduce a lot of that friction with, hey, my product is different than what I'm seeing on this on this ad or on this end cap. So that is a really interesting use case as well. I don't know if you've heard that from any brands, but that was the first thing that popped into my brain from a brand perspective. I mean, I know we've done content because of packaging changes. Um, I can say that we've been involved in some of those things or... There was, I think it was like an Oreo Lady Gaga cookie that came out. Do you yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And so we did audio for them and they were just shocked that we could turn that around so quickly. Like we, they just gave us brand guidelines and uh, some, some instruction and we created like a fun thing and we had it in the stores in like five days and they were just shocked that we could, you know, we could turn that around and help them with that quick, that, you know, that was, it wasn't a rebranding, but it was definitely a, a spin, Right on on uh, the brand itself i really wish i was in that um that pitch meeting to lady <laughs> like gaga you you want an oreo absolutely <laughs> what color will it be <laughs> exactly oh man that's that's amazing and what i love about this because 
you know, Lauren and I, and then uh, uh, my other co-host, occasional co-host, Rob Gonzalez, who we built this Digital Shelf Institute together. And we did it from the beginning with the idea that the digital shelf is not just your retailer um, product page. The digital shelf is going to be everywhere and you need to consider digital shelves as as they show up everywhere in the consumer journey and this is just another example of that becoming more and more true and it's not going to stop it's not going to get smaller it's not going to draw back it this is the path that we're on and watching this and having you folks put so much energy into making that connection uh on behalf of your brands is i just think super cool it's it really is a sign of of yeah. where we're headed and i yeah, wanted I to we ask were, you know, i wish we were getting more getting I more wish we were getting more activity right i mean i yeah. think you know nate and i we, we we feel like we do so many good things that are helpful and then obviously everybody wants to see a result at the end um but we're also just constantly find it trying to find brands that want to be involved with you know these testings um what we're learning together you would think People would would grasp the innovation and then and the early adopter benefit a little easier. Um, but I'm with Nate. They're kind of hamstrung by, you know, what their budgets are and what's kind of at this stage stage kind of you know, status quo for, yeah. for retail media investment. So I mean, that's really that, that's what I wish is we were going faster. Like I wish we had like six of these going at one time or 10 of these. Um, that would be great. Right, Nate? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> more is always better. You know, we're driving for that. We want to bring this to be a scalable standard part of how everyone thinks about retail media. Yeah, I do think it's an evolution, and we're on. We are in the beginning phases of that journey, and so it it will take more adoption and more tests. Uh, what I would say to brands is, if you come in early, chances are because we want your investment, we're underpricing it, which means you're going to get a great return. It's on sale, folks. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, that's that's what's cool, because we all have been uh, on the forefront of a lot of these things, been lucky enough to be doing that. And so much of it is education and giving people like our listeners the ammunition to take this idea in. Uh, And usually it's jealousy. Usually it's like I want what that exactly. Yeah. I want what oh, that brand almost has. real. Almost yeah, real, yeah. Peter. Uh, uh, yep, I, I know, I know. I feel it. I know our listeners feel it. And I'm sure you all feel it. And and so, I, I, well, you know, we have more questions to ask you about this, but um, that's what I think this moment is about. And uh, and the more you can demonstrate these, these kinds of results and bring these uh, experiences to life, um, you know, our our listeners have always been on the bleeding edge of things. So, um, uh, yeah, Lauren, I think you've got. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the, one of the last questions we wanted to ask you is about like, you've done this with brands, you've done this with retailers, you've seen the communications that that's needed between them. You've seen the collaboration, like what is your advice? And I think especially because you have the ear of the retailer and what they're looking for, how can the brand help to push the retailer to do things like this? And how can, the brand help enable internally some of these things to happen. So we'd love to just hear from you some of the advice or some of the things that you've seen yeah. really work in these conversations. The the first thing I, I'd say is be very aware of what the silos are going to be. 
Um, everybody needs to understand on both sides of the house, you've got the brands who need to understand, you know, where their in-store investments are coming from today. They probably have trade dollars that are helping to fund that. And maybe they're using, they have a set commerce or retail media budget where they're doing that digital side of the investment. So they may need to bring those two parties together to look at how they can do joint investment and not step in each other's toes. And on the retailer side, you've similarly got people who are maybe running their retail media network and the merchants who are looking for a certain amount of investment from trade dollars and need to understand that perhaps there's a JBP that needs to be inclusive of the tests that are going to be run. And so I think both sides of the house need to recognize where there are silos that need to be broken down and and do some of that internal reaching across the aisle to bring the right stakeholders into this. Um, That's a big part of what we do and help coach both our, our retail media networks on and say to brands who are interested in this. But the ones that can do that effectively, I think we will see that benefit of the cross-channel measurement and we'll be able to say where there is incremental value that they get. And so I, I would encourage brands that want to be on the bleeding edge, that want to do this, to go out and ask your retailers for this and say, you want to be able to test in an in-store environment because your omni-channel strategy demands addressing consumers when they're in store. And there's a lot of ways to activate in store. And I think retailers are trying to understand what that is. And so a lot of them are also in the early stages of mapping out, you know, what is it going to look like in store? What is the in-store experience going to be? And how does it tie in with the rest of their retail media network? And so it is a, it is a test. It is early days, but ask for it and say it as part of your strategy and push those retail media networks to have an answer to it. And there's a lot of ways they may help answer that question. We would happily, uh, you know, to Paul's point, provide that guidance and and frankly, happy to do it whether they're a current customer of ours or not, because we see the industry going in a certain direction. We're talking with the IAB around standards and measurement. And it's important, we think, for the industry to have a consistent point of view and and demand things like clear, measurable results <laughs> and yep. uh, measure things in a similar fashion so you can compare. And so we are happy to to be a voice for that uh, as well. Well, yeah, we're certain. I think oh, the, sorry, Paul, go ahead. I think, I mean, it definitely enforce mates. Um, maybe in-store is not in the JBP. Some of our newer retail networks that it is. So we can kind of pursue that a little easier. Um, but if it's not, create some flexibility for test budgets and things like that, right? That that was a massive hurdle uh, to get through politically. I think the other learning that I that we've gotten a lot better at describing is the the uh, typical retail media is a one to one relationship, right? That's on site, mobile, off site. Getting people to understand that it is a one to many uh, media right? To be in the store, either for audio or even for visual, maybe you can use camera sensors to, you know, make some better estimates of actual impressions, but it's still a one-to-many medium. And so we really had to get through what that means and and adopted this kind of phrase of, you know, it's one-to-many audience with one-to-one measurement. So, so long as you can convert that impression, we use placer.ai, um, which is a very popular brand for, for location-based data. We work with a, a well-known camera-based technology for screens. We publish impression multipliers. We publish impressions, right? But at the end of the day, it's all tying back to POS data, transactions, digital um, experience, like, like post-14, maybe the exposure converted that person into a one-to-one, and we can tie that into exposure, you know, uh, exposure time and impressions within the store. So that, that's been a big learning is how we convince a brand that, you know, it's a one-to-many media, 
um, that that's been quite a, a quite a learning from some of these early tests. And joint business planning. I mean, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I, I wish we could have like a re-envisioning of JVP because we talk <laughs> about it a lot and we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. And I think the way that brands come to the table in their joint business plannings need to change. And a big piece of that is coming to the table with asks of the retailers and the reason why they're asking for it and then how they're working internally to be able to support that. So I, I really like that aspect of, of what you shared as well, because I think that's something that the brands can take, they can action, they can change, and they can have that better relationship with the retailer in order to be able to do that. We hear networks. Yeah, sorry. I was just gonna say we hear from our retail media networks all the time. They want to understand how brands make investment decisions. And uh, you know, I I kind of smile at that because <laughs> well, don't you have joint business planning? And isn't there a joint component to this? <laughs> where you should be discussing, you know, what does the brand need to see? What are they looking for that's going to indicate they should be investing more and want to invest more and making that really a conversation. And, you know, similarly, when we have our joint business plans with our advertisers and our retail partners, we say, this is what we know what your goals are, and this is what it's going to take to enable those or beat those ideally. And we lay out, you know, there's different paths to get there and there will be trade-offs, but we can give and take and, and there's things we can jointly invest in that makes, a, makes us both successful. So it's a really key piece of how you operate and making sure that's a joint discussion and not just a one-sided thing. Joint. I'm the outsider. I'm the outsider, right? I'm the guy trying to get to the middle of the ring. You know, <laughs> Nate's on the on-site enjoying that little, oh, of course it's in there. Um but I think one of the things that I've been observing and learning is, you know, JBP, at least in retailer, has a lot of baggage, like the historical supplier side of it sure. that influences a lot of decision making. So the the committee of what's in the JBP is complicated versus shouldn't a retail media network being more like, hey, what's our what are our OKRs as an agency? Right. You kind of think of them as an AOR and it, it, it's like two different conversations. And I've even seen, I've heard some retail media networks that like, we're not even, we may not even include retail media in the JBP. Like we want it to stand on its own as an agency, right? And let the brand decide how they want to invest. I've heard that conversation more lately. But it, the reality is that you you have to bring together the supplier side and the RMN together. And that's where a lot of the pushback comes, you know, protecting analog business, protecting, you know, legacy money from say a Neptune, like, you know, and it's like, well, you got to make something change. You can't just watch it go down, <laughs> right? Right. You got you to make a change. Yeah, I, I think that I think we are at some of these, um, you know, turning points where the sense of momentum downwards is is causing people to look for those places where they can say, oh, this could be that that return to well, an upswing it's and declining so because yeah. retail media is absorbing shopper marketing like a like the you know like they've been assimilated you know it's <laughs> like it's yeah you know, and and they, they're causing their own kind of decline in that right. side of it right right because you can't see a 60 billion dollar market share it's got to come from somewhere right right so it is kind of a self a self-imposed decline but then there right. is there are ways like what Nate and I are working on together to demonstrate why it should be shifted in and how you can prove it better than it ever was proved before. And do it on both that's sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the innovation. That's the inspiration for us. 
truth bombs from Paul Brenner. Uh, when it comes to joint <laughs> business planning, Lauren Levac. Was that a truth uh, bomb? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> so, Lauren, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at your upcoming Digital Shelf Summit, which is in mm-hmm. April in Nashville, I believe you will be having a conversation around joint business planning. Am I we right? We will be. This you are correct. Plug. Dean McAuley so, from Stanley Block & Decker is going to cover joint business planning and profitability. So there will be an entire session dedicated mm. to that. DigitalShelfSummit.com, folks. So uh, if you're interested in what's happening uh, at the DSI's Digital Shelf Summit in April, uh, go to DigitalShelfSummit.com. Sorry to interrupt this with a plug, but um, I'm going to do this for a while because- Maybe Every time we, will be there. well, let's let's have that conversation. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, I, I would like to close by making sure that that brands that are listening that are going, hmm, this sounds interesting. Is LinkedIn the best place to either re- reach you, Nate, or Paul? Is that a good place to start? Just to sure. for somebody that's curious, uh, mine's. Uh, you can also get me at nate.pinkston at microsoft.com. Um, oh. Email, maybe. Yep. Or- or paul.brenner at vibonomics.com either way well that's as simple as you get so i just want to make sure yeah. that that folks had a way to uh if they really just had their curiosity tinged and uh and uh that that they have a way to reach you cuz uh these are these sort of particularly as we're in uh you know in planning season and thinking about these things uh you know what are some new ideas you can bring to the table that do create this digital shelf that spans uh, that spans both in-store and online? I mean, it's, it is the true promise of, of Omnichannel. So Nate and Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us and, and happy to advise anyone who's interested and in talk more about this. Always. Thank you both. Thanks again to Paul and Nate for sharing this opportunity with us. A reminder to go to digitalshelfsummit.com to check out next April's Digital Shelf Summit in Nashville. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for being part of our community.